0: Today's gonna be a bit of an abbreviated message today because we have the opportunity to fellowship together today over some uh, good eating and some good good desserts out in the main place. Uh, So please come and enjoy the dessert potluck with us today immediately following the service. Would love for you to join us there. Christ alone, the cornerstone. You know, up on this stage today where there are two of the greatest symbols that this world has ever known and arguably the hardest really for us to, to grasp and believe in. The manger and the cross. Both having the focal point of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ at the center. Christ, the cornerstone. In the manger we have this Tiny little baby, sleeping, wrapped in clothing much like a, what we would see today in a burlap sack. Hard and coarse to the touch. Not like what we you know want to envision with the warm, snuggly, real soft, downy, fresh-smelling, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, the, the real nice, comfortable blanket, because it wasn't like that. We had a tiny infant, this tiny infant. Lay in a a manger, a feeding trough for an animal, wrapped in this rough clothing. His coming signaled to all of humanity that the kingdom of God had come in human form. His arrival symboled hope for this world. Jesus Christ, family, is the hope of the world. For, seven thou- for several thousand years, the Old Testament prophets had, had spoken of the coming of Messiah. And they spoke to his arrival and said that when he came, he would rid the world of sin and sickness and poverty and disease and death. And he would bring redemption to all of mankind. And now, on this day that we celebrate, Messiah had come. But his arrival had come and went without much, much fanfare, save for maybe a, a few wise men from the east and a handful of shepherds that were watching their, flight, their flock by night. Came and went without much. But Jesus Christ came at a very critical time. At the time of Christ's birth, the world was, was in chaos. When it came time for Jesus to step in the ministry, The world hadn't changed much. It didn't look much different. Matter of fact, it might have been worse. Things hadn't changed. Jesus came and he was different. And what he was bringing made a difference. His ministry was different. Instead of being in an ivory tower wanting to be served, he came to serve. Instead of Looking like the hierarchical structure of priesthood, he became the lowly servant. Instead of avoiding the chaos and confusion of this world, he stepped right in the middle of the chaos and the madness and the suffering of the people, and he offers them hope. He offers them hope. Crowds of people began to throng him because he offered them hope. Jesus Christ had entered into the world. He had entered into our pain. And that's why the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, He was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with our grief. Jesus Christ entered into the world and offered hope to those who needed it most at the time that it was needed most that was his heart. I think one of the greatest examples of the heart and the compassion of Jesus Christ our Savior is found in Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. If you have your Bibles I'd like for you to turn there with me and for those of you who don't have your Bibles I'll be reading from the ESV version today and you can cheat by looking up on the screen. Matthew chapter 9, drop down to verse 35. Are you there? No. Say, somebody help me, please, right there. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease every disease and every affliction. Now listen to me. Now this scripture within this context is saying that, that Jesus healed those that were in his presence, those that he could reach. He wasn't able to reach everyone. So when it speaks to every illness and every disease, it's those that were within his, his realm of influence and, and in his preference. When the crowds, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, the compassion of Christ. I want to give you the, the message of Christmas today. This is a Christmas message, because Christmas at its core really, family, is about one thing. It's about the presence of Jesus. It's about the presence of Jesus in two forms, the presence of Jesus with us and the presence of Jesus in us. See, Christmas at its core is really not about joy and and love and peace and hope. Those are things that are derived from being in the presence of God. Christmas is about Emmanuel. It's about God with us. And watch this now. Don't miss this because this is important. God with us, revealed in us. That's what Christmas is all about. You know, if we just took a snapshot of the world around us, it seems really that celebrating Christmas can be hypocritical. How can we say that, that we have a hope in the midst of all the realities of life? How can we claim to have hope when we're immersed in a world that is inundated with hatred and bitterness, where people are gripped with fear and worry and anxiety, where there's so much sorrow and so much suffering and so much evil and so much pain? I offer for you and for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ that the reason why we can have hope is, is is by understanding that there are two different forms of hope. Hmm. Hmm. The first type of hope is the hope of the world. Worldly hope. And this form of hope really has kind of been relegated down to just, I mean, it's almost been watered down. You know, we say we hope for things and hope in things, and it's just, it just, it just takes. Kind of like the meaning out of hope. You know, we we say, I hope it doesn't snow today. And I really do hope it doesn't snow today. I hope the temperature doesn't drop and it doesn't get cold. (laughs) And I do hope that the temperature doesn't drop and that it doesn't get cold. You leave your lights on out in the parking lot you walk out there and you see they're on, the first thing you think to yourself is, I hope my car starts. I left this morning from my house, and I I was thinking, you know, and I don't know, so don't anybody tell me, I hope the Pittsburgh Steelers win today. I want to see them go to the playoff. I hope, I hope, right? That's the hope of the world. Hope is fleeting, but there's a deeper meaning for those of us who are believers in Christ. See, the believer's hope is more than just a wish and a feeling. Our hope is defined by truth and trust an expectation, and anticipation. Our hope means having, having confidence in the certainty of God that he has made promises to us and that he will fulfill his promises to us. It's a certainty. How can we be certain in an uncertain world? We can be certain because God, our Father, always keeps his promises. He cannot lie. He cannot. The writer of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 says, this is impossible for God to lie. And in this troop is the hope. Everyone say hope. hope. In this truth is the hope that is sure and is the anchor of our souls. God has made promises to us. He's promised us that he would love us with an unfailing, undying, uncompromising, unconditional love. He's promised that in his love that nothing could separate us from him. No height, no depth, no evil, no principality, no power. Nothing could separate us from his love. He promised he would never leave us or forsake us. He promised to be present with us in our joy and in our sorrow, in our sadness and in our gladness, in our pain or in our prosperity. He has promised to be with us in it and through it to the very end. That's Emmanuel, God with us. He is our hope. And hope, family, is important because hope determines our choices. Hope shapes the way that we live our lives. We live life life based on, on what we believe in. And so if we truly believe in the promises of God, we'll live our lives as if we do, with a sense of expectation and anticipation. See, hope for the believer is grounded in the truth that Jesus Christ has come, and that one day he is coming back again. But this time he's not coming as a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's coming back as a triumphant king, wielding a sword of righteousness and justice and truth, and he will eradicate the world of sin, sickness, and disease forever. You know, that's a good place to say amen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He is our hope, and we are his. We are his hope. I don't want you to miss that. So until Jesus returns, we are commanded to offer the hope that we enjoy in our relationship with him to the world around us. Get this point. It's an important point. I don't want you to miss it. The presence of Jesus in our lives proves the certainty of the promise of his coming. The presence of Jesus in our lives Proves the certainty of the promise of his coming. Paul tells us in in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 27. You heard me read it earlier. I'm going to read it from a different version. He tells us that we are his hope. We are the hope of God's glory in this world that we live in. We are. Listen to how Eugene Peterson writes this in the message. This is Paul talking, he says, I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in this jail and not you. There's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to take my share in the church as part of that suffering. When I became a servant in this church, I experienced this suffering as a sheer gift, God's way of helping me to serve you laying out the whole truth. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wants everyone, he wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is this. Christ is in you. So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. This is the substance of our message. Here's the point. We are both partakers and participants in his glory. And the glory of God, make no mistake, is the harvest fields of the world. know, most of you who have been here for any time know that I was born and raised in North Pole, Alaska, on a farm. Yeah, me, that's right, I was. And um, in Alaska, there's a very small growing season, and there's a very small window for harvesting when the, when, the, when the crop is right, a very small window. You can't harvest it too soon, or else the crop won't be mature. And if you, if you harvest it too late, you run a risk of the rains in September hitting and the, gra- and the harvest and the crop not being dry and then, then it molds and it mildews and it decays and it's no good. I need to tell you that we live in a world, I don't need to tell you this, you know this. We live in a world that, that is decaying, and molding and falling apart all around us. We live in a world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ that lies and is found in each one of us. Matthew chapter 9, drop down to verse 37. Jesus makes this statement, and it's significant. He says this to his disciples, of which we are part of that family. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Did you know that this is the only prayer request written in all of Scripture that Jesus made? This is the only prayer request that Jesus gave, and it had to do with the condition of the harvest. The expression, earnestly pray, underscores the priority and the passion of God for every follower of Jesus Christ to have a heart and a passion for those who are lost. It's harvest It's harvest season and the Lord of the harvest is calling us into the harvest field. And the question is, will we answer the call? Will we answer the call? I'm gonna close with this. Many of you are saying, well, pastor, how can this be a Christmas message? I'll tell you in a minute. I want to close with this, the importance of the harvest. know, I wasn't going to share this story, but I ran into it twice this week. And so I believe the Lord would have me share it with you. It's a story of a man named Chuck. He's an older man now, but he recounted his story back when he was around 10 years old. He was raised on a farm in North Dakota, a rather large farm. His father, being the patriarch of the family, was the overseer of the farm and the crops. At 10 years old, Chuck lost his father suddenly. I believe he died of a heart attack. And so in the midst of the the grief of the family, they also had something else that they needed to consider. How in the world are we going to harvest these fields? It's harvest season. It's prime harvest season. Chuck tells a story. That's, he said, there's a day that's etched in my mind that I'll never forget. He said, I woke up one morning to the sound of farm equipment. He said, now I looked out, I jumped out of my bed, and I looked out my window, and all across the fields were combines. The neighboring farmers had gotten their tractors and their combines. And they had all come together as a farming community to glean the harvest. Chuck would go on to say that he didn't understand at a very young age at first what all this meant, but he does now. You see, the farming community was a family. And in their mind, the harvest belonged to all of them. We. The family of God. We are a family. The harvest belongs to all of us. Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Will you be one who will answer the call to go into the harvest? You see, during this celebration of season, what I don't want to be lost on you, what I don't want you to forget is that the reason why Jesus came and was born in a manger was to go to the cross and to die, to ransom himself for our sin once and for all, to be resurrected by the Father on the third day, and then one day, family, return to this earth to gather us as his own. What a great day that will be. What you need to know and what I need to know is that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to repentance. And so my prayer for you today as we close this Christmas sermon. My prayer for you and I is that we will share in the passion of Christ for those who are lost in the world that we live in. And may this be the theme of our holiday season in the midst of joy, in the midst of celebrating, in the midst of opening presents and enjoying our family. Keep in mind that the true reason for the season is Jesus Christ. And let's keep Christ in Christmas. Father, I thank you today for the awesome privilege to remind each one of us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you came to give us joy. You came to give us love. You came to give us hope. You came to give us peace. May we experience each one of these in our lives as we experience your presence with us and your presence in us and through us to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.